You're listening to 100 Words or Less with Ray Hargens. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for downloading this podcast about independent music and interviewing people who are shaped by it, create it, are involved in it in some way, shape, or form. That is what I do here. It's whether it's hardcore, punk, indie rock, whatever it is, it's people in small, sweaty rooms yelling at each other. <laughs> and not in a mean way, but sometimes in a mean way. But uh, the guest this week is Jason Stewart. Real interesting story that <laughs> I got into uh, this particular person's uh, brand, as it were. But he is the host of a podcast called How Long Gone, where him and his best friend, Chris Black, uh, basically interview people in the um, I don't know, like the the cultural shaping community, <laughs> and what I mean by that is people in like food and you know uh, being internet famous and uh, you know writers. It's just a, a lot of interesting people from a lot of different interesting places. Uh, and uh, he also is uh, Jason is a DJ operates under the moniker Them Jeans. And so I dove into how long gone the podcast, probably about three or four months ago. And it was funny because once I started listening to it, I was just like, these dudes like care a lot about hardcore. <laughs> like they have a lot of experience about it. And like, they're, they're not dropping like, you know, oh, cool. Like uh, minor threat and misfit references. They're like, you know, two or three levels deep and, uh, you know, joking with other people about, uh, you know, them going to the Del Taco parking lot in Orange County or whatever. And I was like, what, what is this? I'm like, I... <laughs> I got to I got to do some deep dive research into this. And then uh the moment that I pulled up uh, Jason's uh profile on Instagram, I was like, "Oh, it's that dude." And for whatever reason, I just did not place and follow his uh, own personal trajectory, but I saw him at shows for many, many years. He was that tall drink of water in the back of the room cuz he's like 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. We actually joke about it, but um yeah, it's just really cool when you have all this full circle moments and you're like, "Oh wow, that's cool. This person has been, you know, doing a lot of interesting things within the context of, uh, you know, music and like I said, sort of, you know, cultural shaping stuff, but uh, cuz he's a, a uh, you know, big person within the uh, the culinary industry and uh, food influencer, I guess you would call it. I don't know. I'm sure he would uh, take objection to that description, but regardless, Jason, good dude, great chat. We dive in deep to about all of his experiences with DJing, with uh, growing up in the OC hardcore scene, and uh, it was really interesting. And I suggest for those of you that are uh, that want an easy hang on a podcast, definitely listen to How Long Gone. It's uh, it's fun. Um, you know, there's a lot of. Uh, <laughs> A lot of uh, maybe inappropriate talk about drugs, uh, you know, according to uh, me, a, a straight edge adult. But uh, you know, it's it's fun nonetheless. But uh, Jason and his uh, co-host Chris Black, they uh, they have a lot of fun. Like I said, they drop a lot of uh, hardcore <laughs> references and knowledge, and uh, yeah, it's really really fun. So. What you can do, you can always email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. And I'm going to pose a question to you. Do you think shows are going to happen in the fall? I see all of these tours being announced, and I'm like, on one hand, I'm like, okay, I, these bigger festivals that are outdoors and stuff, like, I get that. It's like, I, that feels, uh, for lack of a better term, like, safe to plan for. But, uh, you know, people, like, packed into a thousand-cap room, like, I don't know, man. It seems weird, but I, at the same time, it's like, I I don't know, maybe we're just all, like, a little gun-shy, but anyways – Email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. You can also review and rate the show on Apple Podcasts. Obviously, all the things that, you know, all the typical podcasts request of you to do, I also request of you to do. But um, yeah, let's dive into the conversation with Jason. It was a real fun one, and uh, I, was, uh, I was excited that he was willing to come on the show. So that's what we got, and I will talk to you after the episode is over. Get on, God. Get on, God. Get on, God. 
I was like, wait, I remember this dude from shows. And so I'll, uh, you know, basically just tripped onto your podcast via uh, being a podcast nerd myself and, uh, you know, listened to a few episodes and I was like, wait, like, you know, there's, there's a lot of core talk in these, uh, (laughs) these podcasts. Mm -hmm. And then once I saw your picture and then I was like, oh yeah, that's, I remember this dude going to shows because obviously you're a giant amongst, Mm -hmm. you know, all of us. I mean, I'm six Mm -hmm. foot tall and you're what, six, seven, right? Six, six, nine, actually. Oh, damn, dude. Well, yeah, sorry, sorry to cut down two inches off of you, but anything, anything above, you know, six, six or seven or something like that. It's all just the same rarefied air. Whatever it is, it's too tall. Yeah, for sure. Um, And so I I just thought it was, it was interesting because I, and I'm sure you have this experience, like when you're, you know, whatever out there in the quote unquote real world and not in, you know, sweaty rooms with people jumping on top of each other, finger pointing it, you're, you have a kinship with these people immediately when you're like, Oh, you experienced the same thing. You know, like maybe it's not going to the same venues, but it's just like that camaraderie that uh, a subculture kind of brings together. And I realize this is probably maybe a, a big question to lead off with, but it, it seems like most, you know, most people have had at least some experience with that, you know, independent subculture and have gone on to do, you know, uh, interesting, cool things that might not directly be related to like, you know, punk or hardcore. Yes. And would you, do you see that as obviously kind of a through line as you've been bouncing around? Cause you know, you've done a lot of random stuff. <laughs> and so have you, I guess, run across people in a lot of those, uh, you know, different areas that you've traveled yeah. in? I mean, I, I, I see the through line happening a lot, obviously in like the hardcore straight edge, et cetera world. But, and, and that kind of is a thing that just always happens. And when you find out somebody comes from that background and then you're like oh where are you from how old are you and then you kind of like place it all together of like oh you're probably this kind of person based on all that information and you're usually pretty right but you know i i like when you when you find somebody who matches that rare subculture and then also like three other ones then you know then it turns into like a an extra bond where like you know it doesn't even matter if i like this person or not i'm like related to them basically you know like like once you're straight edge and then you're like oh well you were probably vegan or vegetarian and then you know maybe you got into tattooing or graffiti or well you know whatever the five to ten things that you could do at a certain age if you're in in that world and if you collect a bunch of them then you're like oh shit like this person and i probably have too much in common like to the point where it's a little scary <laughs> right. and it's a random person who lives in you know iowa that you've never met but you're like oh i know you more than my own family probably right <laughs> no it is true and I, I think it is interesting when you're talking about you know uh, uh the the wide brush that people paint with you know their creative juices as it were where it's like mm-hmm. you're able to trace all these things back to be like oh yeah like you know you were this sort of kid and like you did have those same experiences but now you're um you know whatever obviously with your experience you know being a dj and you know in the fashion world and the food world as it were um mm-hmm. it, it's it's funny to kind of like pull all those threads together to be like you probably it's like you can almost sniff some people out even before you know it. You're just like, I think you know what's up. And then you ask them a question or like, oh yeah, you do know what's up. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's and it, it, it happens. It happens more and more as time goes on, and, and it's weird how how the, the doing doing the podcast has sort of brought those worlds together. Because after I stopped being, you know, a part of the whole straight edge vegan etc world you know i entered a whole different world and i did not you know do anything involving any of those people for many years you know the believe it or not the world of djing and doing drugs and partying does not have a lot of straight edge people in it uh even though i, I started getting into it through steve aoki who was yep you know, a big member of the of that world but you know when you're partying and, and getting fucked up and all that stuff, like you don't meet all those people and they don't meet you and they don't want to talk to you and you don't want to talk to them. And it's just kind of segregated. But then now that everyone's gotten a little bit older and kind of calmed down and their lives are a little more similar and, you know, people are having careers and starting families and, you know, settling down a little bit, then everyone kind of all comes back together as like, Oh, we're all just kind of humans at the end of the day. And, you know, we don't have to be like trying to fight everybody all the time. <laughs> this, this, yeah, this segregated scene where it's just like, oh yeah, you know, that person's a sellout. Let's completely toss them out with the garbage or whatever. That's right. And that was me, which was fine. <laughs> you know, it was funny, but, but it wasn't a problem because I, you know, I was thrown out into the garbage, but nobody, I mean, I never saw those people. They never saw me. So out of sight, out of mind, but now we're all kind of coming back together and, and people that I know from straight edge back in the day through Instagram or podcasting or whatever, you know, somebody who I would think like wouldn't want to fight me 10 years ago is now like listening to my podcast and sending me food recommendations, you know? Right, right, right. Well, to be clear, I never wanted to fight you. So I think we're open. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it, it's funny because like uh, we never met, but I just like, I remember, I mean, and I'm sure you have those people in your mind where it's just like, oh yeah, we were in the same rooms together, but we just never formally met. It was never like, yeah. oh, Ray, meet Jason, Jason, meet Ray, even though we were at millions of the same shows together. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I had known, you know, the, your band and, you know, saw them on zillion different flyers and, and of course sure I've seen your band play and we've been a hundred different shows together, but yeah, we have never met or talked before this. Right, right, right. Um, <laughs> you, uh, so backing up, you were, were you born in Huntington beach or where'd you come up? Yeah. I'm from, I'm from Huntington beach. Yeah. HB, uh, HB local HB, as that were in high school, all that stuff. What, uh, so, I mean, I, obviously I'm going to presume that the, uh, you know, 18 visions kids were, uh, you know, all kind of surrounding you as it were, as you were going through high school and stuff. Yeah. 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 Um, got into, got into like hardcore and straight stuff like around 93 or so. Um, when I was like in middle school and then, yeah, like I went to middle school with, with a lot of those guys and went to high school with, with Dave and James Hart and Ken Floyd and all those guys. Um, we weren't really close friends or anything like that, but you know, we definitely knew, knew each other and had a lot of similar friends. And then, you know, after that, when everyone started meeting everyone from all the different neighboring cities like Newport, where you're from and, and beyond, uh, yeah, that was about it. Yeah. 
And so how, um, I, I guess you're kind of, t- I'm going to imagine your, your upbringing was kind of, you know, sort of typical suburban, you know, white dude upbringing of, uh, you know, whatever, uh, white picket fence, you know, uh, <laughs> mom and dad in the house, that sort of stuff. Uh, is, is that correct? Or am I uh, way off base? Uh, I mean, actually a little bit, not really. Like we, we were, my family was a little bit more on the, on the lower middle class, um, but luckily, you know, because like my family moved to Huntington or moved to Orange County in like the 70s through my grandpa. He got a job. And then but then they, my grandma and grandpa divorced. And then I kind of live, lived in the house that they all grew up in. So we didn't we didn't really have a ton of money, but I was around a lot of people who did. You know, obviously, Orange County has a lot of a lot of wealth in there. And, you know, even though. I didn't grow up with as much money and, and opportunities as a lot of my friends did. Everyone was still really cool and welcoming and there was never really any like bad vibes going on. Yeah. Do you have a, you have a older brother, younger brother? Actually, I have a twin brother. Holy moly. Well, maybe that's who would like, did he go to shows or no? He did go to shows. Yeah. He was not, um, he was not exactly in the same kind of scenes as I was, but he was also, you know, straight edge and into, all the same music as well, but we kind of had, a, we had a lot of similar friends and still do, but we kind of had our own friend groups a little bit, which was good and encouraged for, for twins, especially in the high school years. Right. Yeah. It's like, Hey, we we're, we're doing a lot of the same stuff. We have to have a little bit different. Yeah. You know, it's just healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Thought that was healthy back then, but yeah, well, then- I mean, you know, we both grew up going to shows at the library and, you know, our world definitely opened up. When, you know, you found out you can like meet girls at the library that you grew up going to because, you know, the yeah, they're seeing minerals, right. We're going to play and every cute girl in a 50 mile radius was going to be there wearing some Jack Purcells and overalls. And you might get to touch a titty at Del Taco at the end of the day. Yeah, dude, if you play your cards right. If you play those cards right. Yeah. <laughs> well, then maybe I was just seeing your brother and I don't even, you know. <laughs> I don't even know you. I'm just kidding. Possible. I mean, he, even though we are twins, we look very different. And also there's, he's like six feet tall and I'm, and I'm six, nine. So there was always, there was always a height difference to where people were kind of surprised to hear that we were, we were twins. Right, right, right. Um, and so what kind of, uh, I'm assuming that, you know, because you, uh, the, the person that I know, as far as your, you know, your public display, <laughs> you're, you know, obviously very sarcastic, you know, dry sense of humor, that sort of stuff. Was that kind of always who you were, or was that something that, you know, uh, kind of a learned trait as you, uh, as you grew up? Uh, I think it was probably always who I was. I mean, as far as I can remember in terms of, you know, a sense of humor or, way that you interact with the world but yeah i don't i don't really know how i got it or how i picked it up i just remember when i was a kid and i didn't have that many friends i would just always be bored so sarcasm was a way to you know help get get you get you through the day but i mean i grew up watching you know being really into comedy and stuff my brother and i would watch kids in the hall and snl and you know the state and mr show and all that stuff so we were always into comedy all the time you know even when we were little kids we were watching snl when we were like six years old or something at a friend's house so it's always been a huge part of my life just you know it's it's super fun making people laugh or at least trying to right right yeah whether you succeed or not (laughs) um 
and the I guess your your what you got into. I mean, like you said, you know, you got introduced to you know kind of the punk and hardcore scene when you were twelve or thirteen. Uh, prior to that, like, what sort of kid did you find yourself being? Were you doing the uh, you know the sport train? Were you kind of like an indoor kid? Where did you find yourself? Yeah, I was. I my brother and I grew up playing baseball like little league, and we were in Boy Scouts, and we were you know pretty pretty good kids on the on the straight on the straight and narrow straight path. Um, on the poison free train. Um, and then, you know, once you hit around that age, middle school age, then you start realizing that you have to start, you know, enjoying some extreme sports activities and, you know, stuff like that. You have to put down the boy scout badge and pick up a skateboard or a BMX bike or something and, you know, start playing guitar, start, you know, blowing stuff up, whatever it is that you're into. Um, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, we were always, you know, we we're always pretty active, cruising around type of kids. We actually, another odd hardcore fact, my brother, when we were like in kindergarten, he was best friends with Jimmy Sullivan, who was the the drummer from Avenged Sevenfold, who passed away. Oh, yeah, yeah. But he grew up like a couple of streets down from us, and we would just go to his house and he would go to our house and when we were like five years old and just hang out. And even when we were little kids, he was just like a drum maniac. And that's why like him being into music got us into music. We got a guitar and pretended like we knew how to play. And we'd be like, Oh, I learned how to like tune the guitar. And he'd be like, okay, let's play Metallica one. And we're like, I don't know how to do that. Right. Do you have, do you have something easier? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, did you care about school or was that something that you just kind of, you know, coasted through? Not really. I got, um, I peaked around the fifth grade in school, never really cared about it. I just never was interested or paid much attention to it. I was really into science and stuff when I was younger, but never really, uh, applied myself in the world of school whatsoever. Unfortunately. Sure. You were never read. I mean, right. Yo, it's the summertime, or it's almost the summertime, or spring. You need to get an entirely new wardrobe of cool band shirts, and you can do that by going to rockabilia.com, and then you can use this code, 100words, that gets you 10% off your entire order. It's an incredible place where you can buy officially licensed band merch. I have to stress that point, officially licensed. It's none of this horrific bootleg ripoffs where the bands aren't getting paid, and uh, you're getting high-quality merch that's shipped to you very effectively and efficiently. I just, I love this company so much. You hear me talk about them week in and week out, but I, I assure you, you need to have that experience for yourself. They have over 500,000 items. Like, you you really can get lost in their website in a good way for a good hour, hour and a half, which I definitely have on many different instances. So go to rockabilly.com, buy the officially licensed merch for yourself, for your significant other, for your friends, for your family, whatever it is, use this code 100 words, 10% off, and you will be outfitting your closet with a bunch of rad new stuff. So there you go, rockabilly.com, 100 words, have fun. Uh, for lack of a better term, like what was the, uh, I guess, life path? Like, you know, what did your, uh, you know, did your parents have uh, hopes and dreams for what uh, J- little Jason was going to become? <laughs> we didn't really, I mean, did not really know. I was, just, I knew that it was going to be something, you know, I was always like really into music. So I thought it was going to be something 
you know, artistic or musical, like, you know, when we were, when I was in high school, I was making zines and really into photography and playing guitar and all that stuff. So I knew it was going to be something in that world versus, you know, I'm going to go get a, go to USC and get a, a business degree and, or whatever, you know, like I knew it was going to be something like that. And then, you know, as soon as I was able to, you know, get enough friends or enough money together to, to move out of Orange County um, and up to LA, that's when I did that. Sure. You pursued the, uh, the musical stuff. Um, I, mean, so I, just, you- I just wanted to have some, I was like, I felt very trapped in Orange County. I, I feel like I needed to, at the time I needed to escape to find some more culture. I was not really into the level of culture in LA. I just, or in Orange County, I just, we would go up to LA every week or every weekend and just, even with nothing to do or nowhere to go, just kind of cruise around and just see stuff. Mm-hmm. And, like you said, uh, your you know your brother uh, kind of you know bounced you into uh, you know getting into like punk and hardcore and stuff like that. What uh, what kind of drew you to it as you started to you know understand that there was music that obviously was not played on the radio and like you know the <laughs> the uh, you know screaming nature of stuff and like all these things that are a little bit left of center. Like what drew you in? Um, I would I would say I was just really excited to find music that that I had to find versus was just given to me. Um, because like at that age, you're growing up with MTV and the radio and all this stuff. So we would have this music. It was like music and like punk music and everything was really big in Orange County. Even if you didn't, you know, even my mom would listen to K-Rock or whatever. I'm taking us to school in the morning and you'd hear, you know, in between all the shitty music, they'd still play some like interesting pop music or punk music and even the, even the bad stuff like no effects or sublime or whatever, like all these bands, like it was just, everyone listened to it. It's just what was going on in Orange County. And then, um, I just didn't really, um, find a way that I've, I felt like I belonged with any of that music I was listening to. Like at the time it was like Metallica and Pantera and, you know, just kind of like gnarly metal stuff is what I would be into, but I didn't really identify myself as one of those people. I would, I would listen to Nirvana and Alice in Chains and all these grunge bands, but I wasn't like a grunge person. I was like still, I wasn't partying or doing drugs. I wasn't smoking weed or, or anything like that. And I, w- I didn't have long hair and I wasn't, you know, getting wasted. It was just, that's just what I liked the most. And then when I discovered hardcore music, I don't even remember how I did it. I just got, I just saw some friends in middle school and maybe it was, maybe it was Dave um, or one of those guys. Um, but I remember they had a cassette. I think it was a cassette of, of from the band function. Oh yeah, of course. And, to it and, was, and, and they were like a local Huntington beach band, you know, and at that age around 13 or something like that, like someone's older brother will like, you know, get you into some, you know, like here's a bad religion cassette or something like that. And then, you know, their younger brother finds a cooler band and it just tapes and CDs and stuff like that just kind of get passed around. And then if, when you find out that this band is from the same city that you live in, they live down the street. That was like, I remember that being a crazy feeling like, Whoa, these, these people are, you know, they're like the cool kids of the school. They're playing these concerts and, you know, they live probably like a half a mile away from where you grew up your entire life. 
but they're making rad music that you like. And I remember that being exciting. Like I didn't, it made me want to like go and hang out and support them and, and see it live. And maybe there'd be people like you around there that, you know, could, you could be friends with. Yeah, no, it is cool. Like when you find that, uh, I mean, this isn't even a word like touchability of like, oh my gosh, like, you know, what 1134 is just down the street or adamantium is from Newport. Like you just start to be like, oh, this is, I guess this is for lack of a better term possible. Yes, it was, yeah, it was possible. And, and thanks to shows being around, it was kind of like everyone could hang out and be together and see each other but there'd be like a goal or a mission or a reason versus like, Oh, we're going to go to someone's house and, and do some beer bongs or whatever, where you just kind of sit around. And then, you know, it's not, it's not, it wasn't as exciting or stimulating to me at that age. I wanted to go out and, you know, meet random people and see like, Oh, there's this kid from Dana point that I really think is hilarious. And we become friends or there's a cute girl from Fullerton that, you know, I hope she's going to be there tonight or whatever it is. And it was like something fun and something to do. And it felt cooler than, you know, going to like a church group or something like that. Even though we did do that sometimes if we were really bored, but. Right. Uh, <laughs> well, I like, I know. Cool to just like, go and there was like, it was like a social scene and it was kind of, and it kind of felt like everyone was okay with it because it, the whole message was like, Oh no, mom, it's cool. Like the whole point is like everyone's sober, no one's doing drugs. Like it's all, it's all good. That was, that felt like, you know, our mom would be okay with us going out. Right. Late at night. If, if we're just going to go watch some bands play and, you know, kick some people every once in a while. Well, yeah, of course. Yeah. You know, maybe do some, uh, do some cliff diving, you know, after you talk a loco, you know, all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but but no i i think you hit the nail on the head in regards to kind of like the uh, we weren't defining it as such like the productivity but it's like you yes you were just hanging out and of course wasting time and doing a bunch of stupid stuff but then there was hopefully something to show from it in regards to like you said shows or like you know for your experience of putting out zines and like there was something beyond like you said, literally just spending time in the weekend and then being like, Oh, that was, you know, on the Monday being like, Oh, that was sick. And it's like, you were, you had something to show for it. Yeah. The, the, all the things that you love in to do in life and things that identify you as a person, you, you have an outlet for, you have a, a subject to do it. So if you're really into photography, then like, Oh, I have to go to the show and shoot it. It's going to be a, an amazing thing. And I'm going to, go take my film and develop it and go, you know, to my high school photo class on Monday. And maybe I'll have a, a cool photo of torn apart from the showcase theater. And then maybe, you know, I'll put that in, in my zine next week and everyone will think that I'm the best photographer in the world or whatever. Or even if you're just into clothes and fashion or you just bought a new shirt or you have a new pair of shoes or something like you have a reason to wear it. You have a reason to do something and it's not just, you know, to get fucked up. Yeah, for sure. No, I like that. <clears throat> and you, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but like, did you actually, did you ever play in a band? No, I actually never played in a band, man. As yeah, it just, I, love music, I just never really, I was never into band. I, I mean, I would, I would fuck around with some friends and stuff like that every once in a while, but I just never, I never liked it. Never got it, never got it together to, you know, uh, play a, a terrible show at uh, Chain Reaction. Thank God it never happened. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, just imagining 
how I was when I was, you know, in high school, the, the level of insecurity or anxiety or whatever stage fright was like, I don't even think I could handle it. Okay. Right. Well, let, let's, let's be honest. That didn't stop a lot of people. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I mean, I'm more power to, to folks like you who are able to do it, especially with a clear mind. Right. Exactly. Well, I, I think the, yeah, the idea that you, you, know, you find me in my twenties and ask me if I ever, ever DJ sober and the answer would be a strong, no, I don't right. Know. <laughs> right. You're like, uh, I, I literally have to get the most inebriated possible in order to get up and act like an idiot in front of all of you. Yeah, it's kind of part of the job. Yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> um, and so on that same tip, like there was such an interesting confluence of, you know, at, to your point of what we were talking about earlier, where, you know, as people get older and, you know, whatever, graduate high school, go to college, you know, participate in touring bands and like all of these, you know, elements of life start to play into each other. I found it so interesting that it was like, yeah, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, obviously, when the whole like, you know, club bang scene and like, you know, the early 2000s with, you know, obviously Stevie Oki doing everything that he was doing. And it was such an interesting thing because it, to your what you were joking about earlier, where it's like you had all of these, you know, kids who were growing up and being like, oh, well, straight edge. No, I don't need to be that anymore. Like, you know, that's it, it's either not important to me or like I don't want to be. Um was it was it funny for you to kind of like obviously kind of go through that and witness that and then being like, wait, you were totally just like making fun of me two years ago, yet you're you know front row as a you know at Cinespace or whatever, <laughs> like getting messed up. Like, how was your experience kind of getting get, getting through that? Well, yeah, I mean, it was it was kind of like you know, to no, no pun intended, the, the the bonds of friendship were strong. When it was kind of, it was like seeing some somebody from jail on the other side of just, and you, you kind of have a laugh. Easier to happen, easier to happen, you know, if you're fucked up at the time. But yeah, you know, you would see people out and partying, and even straight edge friends. You know, I'd be DJing some party, and you know, it would be a very cool party to go to. So even like old straight edge friends of mine would be there, and it was just always like a funny thing to me. It was funny to see, you know, people from that world in my world now, and. And it was nice. To, it was cool that everyone was like really welcoming about it, and nobody was being a dick. And I hopefully wasn't being a dick. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, when you were so when you were sober, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, luckily, luckily, I'm a I'm a happy, funny, smiley drunk, and not a dark, fighty drunk. Right. Not a not a malicious drunk. <laughs> not, well, yeah. Usually, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and. Uh, the, you know, because of your, um, you know, your interest, obviously, you know, in fashion and food and like how all of these things kind of like, you know, converge, did you, um, I, I guess, feel that you could kind of do this wide variety of things as you started to kind of, you know, whatever, maybe get a little uh, burnt out on the whole, uh, you know, DJ world, because like you were saying, that's, you know, that might be a young man's game after a while. Um you didn't say that. I just put the words in your mouth, but, um, so, okay. Um, so did you see that you could kind of like pull these threads together because they were all, you know, somewhat connected in your own head or was it just kind of like, you know, uh, spray and spray and pray. Ever since, did you say spray and pray? I did say spray and pray. I, I, I've never heard of it before and I like it. 
Hey, hey, man, use it. Yeah, yeah, it's a fun one. It's not a military marine term, okay, or not a Call of Duty term. It is. It is not. I've heard it in reference to advertising, where you know, if someone's spending a hundred thousand dollars and they don't have any idea what they're doing, they're spraying and praying. Okay. Okay, that I like, you know, because it does have a little bit of a kill them all and the god sort of energy, which you know. It does. Yes, I know. Which you know, for, fortunately, the mil- the military is not a huge listenership uh, base of this podcast, nor a sponsor. Okay. So we're yeah, we're good. We're good. This podcast is not brought to you by the U.S. Marine Corps. Thank God. No. Yeah, it's not not like Warp Tour. Well, <laughs> shots shots fired. Fuck you, Warp Tour. Fuck the Marines. Um, so. Yeah, wait, what were we talking about? No, we were talking, just saying, like, pulling the threads together of all the stuff you were interested in. Yeah, so that was a thing that I I had inside of me my entire life. For whatever reason, I was never able to just focus on one thing and do it and stick to it. I always, like, it had to be an inherent part of me to be the guy that can do a little bit of everything all the time. I always had to be, you know... In, I, I couldn't just like, oh, I'm into this type of music. I had to have such a wide variance of interests that it would impress even the most, uh, you know, hard to impress raconteur type of person. Like if I was DJing, I couldn't just like, oh, I'm just going to play rap music for an hour. I had to like, I always had to do something different and irreverent and, you know, a, a zig instead of a zag. I always had to do something that, you know, 10 different things at once instead of one. And I don't really know what the root or the psychology behind that is, but um, there's probably the ja- the the proverbial jack of all trades, master of none. That is me to to a T. Um, <laughs> That's good. Well, I no, <laughs> but honestly, just otherwise, I, I just straight up get bored. You know, that's, that's no, what it comes down to. And totally, and I understand that because I I think that there is. I really do think that there's something inherent with people that get attracted to subcultures and frankly get obsessed with it. Cause like you said, part of your passion in getting into, you know, music was kind of the going the seven different levels, deeper levels of being like, yes, cool. I know what promise and, you know, promise ring and text is the reason are, but like, let's talk about frail, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. I, I want to be obsessed with things. And I think that it does take a certain person to kind of become obsessive about that. And then to your point, just being like, well, I can probably be obsessive about, you know, um, you know, coffee or whatever. Like you just start to go down these other rabbit holes and it's only because your brain gets so stimulated by that. Yeah. I mean, I think it, there's probably some type of, you know, childhood psychology in there of the, a desire to, or an overwhelming desire to try to impress people. So in my mind, you know, if I was, able to do 10 different things well, then that was going to be more impressive and people are going to think I'm cooler and love me more or something like that is, is probably where I think it comes from. But I don't know. I mean, now looking back, I'm glad I was like that because otherwise I would just be boring, I guess. Right. <laughs> what? Uh, sure. Sure. Um, what just because I, I find usually these stories humorous, where what did you, um, I guess, sell out on, or what did you, you know, was this a, a very grandiose, like a straight edge dropping story, or was this pretty much like a, you know, a, uh, well, I, I guess I'll just, you know, drink this Miller Light now. Is this, is this a recurring theme on the show? No, no, honestly, not. I just think that uh, people that, because, 
you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm sure you've seen some people have this experience where the people that drop edge, you know, like just look back at that time and, you know, maybe talk crap and are like, oh, you know, straight edge is a kid thing and whatever. This is, you know, me saying this is a 40 year old straight edge adult, which I don't even need to call myself that anymore. But because, you know, that's kind of weird. But um, I, I just find it interesting that people like yourself who, you know, it's not like you look at straight edge being like, oh man, that was so stupid. I was that or whatever. Like, you know, you've never, in my opinion, you've never actively talked crap on it. So that's why, that's why I bring that up. Yeah. My, um, my, it's, I mean, I, when you really kind of hone in on the reason why somebody becomes straight edge and why they stop being straight edge, it usually is peer pressure from, from, from your friends that you're trying to impress. Um, and that's, I mean, the same exact reason why I became strategy was because and was is the same reason why I stopped being strategy was just, you know, my, all the, all the cool people that I was hanging out with at the time who I wanted to impress were all straight edge. And I wanted to hang out with them and sit at their table at high school. And so, you know, if at a certain point, if I want to keep doing that and, you know, be getting in their good graces, I'm going to have to buy a Strife hoodie at some point so they can start respecting me and start saying that I'm straight edge just like them. And we can, you know, form those bonds together. And then eventually when, you know, if the friend group starts enjoying the fine uh, indicas and sativas of Orange County, then uh, it's only a matter of time until I'll be going down that same route. And that's, so it was like, you know, all the same friends that I became straight edge with had all kind of stopped being straight edge and started drinking and smoking weed and stuff like that. And I remember it was, it was basically, I think it was like in just like in a car. No, it was actually main street, Huntington beach. Oh, perfect. (laughs) Attempted to smoke some weed in my friend's car before we were about to like go walk around, you know, Main Street on a Saturday night or something like that. And I remember I I did not successfully or correctly inhale, so I did not achieve a high from it. And it did actually end up taking a few more tries for me to finally learn how to inhale properly because I had never I had never been drunk. I had never smoked a cigarette. I've never done any drugs. So I was I had no idea what I was doing for a while. Um, which I guess is kind of cute looking back now. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the same when I stopped being vegan, just like, Hey, we all smoke weed now. And, you know, we all stopped being vegan and now, you know, like we don't, we don't want to, you know, I guess you being vegan makes us feel bad about ourselves and our choices. So you have to stop being vegan now. And, <laughs> right. That the, the herd mentality. The yeah. herd mentality. So we're going to get you, very stoned and then and then i remember they're like wherever you want to go i'll we'll buy you dinner what do you want and i was like i want nachos bro i gotta go out the same way i went in and remember we just hit the, hit the drive through unfortunately it was taco bell and not del taco which oh was- i was gonna i i was gonna say it's at yeah gonna say it it is completely appropriate to uh you know sell out veganism on del taco like that's kind of you know whatever that's like different zip code stuff i didn't want i didn't want del taco to see what i had become i think so i I felt like i was cheating on my on my main girl with my mistress which was taco bell at the time now i would never set foot inside of a taco bell the thought of it is blasphemy 
Yeah. At the time, I had I had some some Taco Bell nachos, ate it in my friend's car, you know, in Fountain Valley or something probably, and then the rest was history. But I still love, you know, I still eat vegan food all the time, and it's like a big part of my life. And straight edge ism is not as big of a part of my life anymore. But I always have thought that it was an amazing way to grow up as a kid. I'm always really proud that I was straight edge and I'm really grateful for the fact that I found it when I was at that age because, you know, it was either going to be that or, you know, just getting fucked up. And I was already on, on track to not be doing great, you know, even though I was drug free. So, so I'm, I'm really happy and really grateful that I found it. And, you know, I was probably a dumbass and a, an idiot in my 20s when I was figuring the rest of my life out, but I'm glad that I had that when I was at those, at those um, very integral developing years of my life. Right. Yeah, no, it it is. I mean, it's, it obviously buys you into an identity and a friend group and like all of these things that are, uh, you know, sometimes very difficult to penetrate when you are of the age. So yeah, I totally yeah. understand. Um, I didn't have a lot of friends, was not very popular and, you know, there you go. All those, um, guys wearing black Jan sports and hoodies brought me in with with open arms. Absolutely, o- open arms and next up hands. <laughs> <laughs> do uh, I, I two uh, important last questions on the uh, the straight edge front? Uh, do you have any straight edge tattoos? And um, you know, did you x up going to school? Um, I don't have any straight edge tattoos. Thank the Lord above. Okay. Or okay. any vegan tattoos. There are no fruits or vegetables wrapped around my ankle. <laughs> Um, okay, and I have plenty of friends who who still have them, and it tickles me to this day. Um, but I I I I don't think maybe I exed up at school once or twice, but I don't think I did. Even though even though the high school I went to was had a very ripe straight edge community, it was still absolutely ruled by um, jocks and party bros and you know football team people. So. Uh, me exiting up at high school would would be a recipe for ridicule, most likely. So I probably avoided that. Yep, that makes sense. Um, so you know, as you started to, I guess, get you know attention, obviously for your you know your DJing, your performing, like all of that sort of stuff. Um, and like you were talking about earlier, the you know idea of never playing in a band, and then um, you know all of a sudden people now with this the, the DJ stuff, people starting to pay attention to you. Um, you know, how did you, uh, I mean, obviously on one hand you were drunk a lot of the time, so like you maybe didn't have the time to absorb that attention, but like, was it, was it difficult for you to kind of grapple with that attention of people being like, oh man, like, you know, I got to know Jason because like he's cool or whatever, because he's this guy in front of me. Um, you know, how did you kind of deal with that? Or is that something that you just ignored? It was, it was not difficult for me at all. I, I truly loved it. It was for the first time in my life that I was, you know, that people were like, you know, vying for my attention. And that was something that I was just desperately seeking when I was younger. So it was, it was totally a blast for me. I loved it. And, you know, as much as I loved being straight edge, I, you know, I would, I would be lying if I didn't say that alcohol helped me, you know, come out of my shell in, in a lot of those ways that I had a problem with in my younger years. So it was, you know, when they say it's a social lubricant, that's, that's probably the main reason why I got into 
drinking was because I could find, you know, I would, I would go out and I would go to, you know, a club or a party and like I would be dancing. And that's not something that I'd ever do when I was younger to just like feel free and feel open and, you know, talk to, talk to strangers and meet new people and meet girls and have girls like me. Like that was all stuff that I was not used to. And, and that helped me. So, you know, by the time I started DJing and, and getting some notoriety or attention or touring around and traveling and throwing parties and stuff like that, I was absolutely ready for it. So Got it. Yeah. Right. Right. And I, I guess that that is true. Like, you know, whatever, if you start to get that attention when you're, you know, 16, 17 playing in a band versus, you know, maybe your early twenties, you're a little bit more prepared. I mean, you're still a dumb idiot, but you know, maybe yeah, there's a feel for you when, I mean, how old were you when you were at the, when like your band was kind of at the peak? Yeah. It, I mean, it was probably when I was like 18, 19, um, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe a little bit, a little bit later, but yeah, I mean, it was weird. Cause I also worked at, I'm sure you went to the record store, Bionic records. Um, yeah, yeah I worked there too. And so it was where I bought my first hardcore piece of hardcore music. Oh, that's spectacular. The Huntington beach was uh, yeah, that was my haunt. Um, oh, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, pr- I probably sold you a record at one point too. <laughs> outspoken cassette was the first. Uh, a light, in the, light in the dark, I'm guessing. <laughs> yes, it or, was. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, it was, I mean, it was, it was a learning process where you start to realize people like you for obviously the identity of you versus like who you actually are as a human. And so, yeah, it took me a couple of years to sort through that, especially, you know, from a female perspective where it's like, Oh wait, like this girl just wants to make out with me because like I sing for a stupid band and like, you know, yes, that's fun for a couple of times, but then, you know, (laughs) once you realize that like, Oh man, like this girl sucks to hang out with or whatever. Like you just start to, you know, you start to recognize those things about yourself where it's like, that is not actually bringing me happiness. Like it's bringing me happiness for maybe five minutes, but that like, that's not worth it. So you're you're a better man for coming to that realization at a younger age because I don't know if that ever gets old, my friend. Well, I, I, no, I don't disagree with you, and I understand I mean, that's... When I say that, I just want to be clear that that was a joke. But, I mean, I, yes. I, I do agree, and the, to, to quote Tupac Shakur, I don't want it, if it's that easy, you know, you have to, you know, you start to realize that the things that you care about in other people go beyond their interests. Yep. Yeah. Oh, for sure, for sure. But, yeah, I mean, there's... there's... Right, right. Well, you have to you have to sample it first. You have to understand the rest of the like, Oh, okay. Like this is what I like. This is what I don't like. You know. I mean, that's obviously what your teenage slash early twenties are all about. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I find it interesting too. The um, you know the the path that you were kind of on in regards to you know with with the the DJing, and then once you started to you know people <laughs> viewed you, uh, you know, and still rightfully so. Like you know the uh, the for lack of a better term, like influencer, where it's like, okay, here's a person that has some cultural cachet. Like, we need to get him to do this brand integration oh, with us. Hard for you to say the word influencer right there. I like that. Yeah, it just rolls right off the tongue. Uh, <laughs> but, like, I mean, obviously, that that was not a really a, a word back in the, you know, whatever, mid-2000s yeah. or what have you. But mm-hmm. so a, as these kind of like, you know, business implications started to come at you, whether it's like, oh, do I work with, you know, this brand and do this like thing, um, you know, like, did you, I guess, do you enjoy the business aspect of it? Even to, you know, to this day, like, um, you know, you obviously have to as sort of a, a freelance hustler, like you are, um, yeah. but not everybody likes that side of the business. So, you know, where, where does it kind of sit with you? 
Um, I think, you know, I, I think that if you can manage to, you know, obviously the word influencer, just like the word, you know, just like saying I'm a DJ, it comes with a lot of negative connotation to most people. And most people will kind of instantly dismiss it as, you know, something that is not cool or, or lacking substance or whatever. And I always, uh, my, my goal in life was always to just like be able to make a living and be happy and, and healthy and successful, you know, doing whatever it is that, that I love and want to do. And, you know, if I can do that, you know, if, if I can make a living, you know, quote unquote, attempting to be cool, just to be a cool person that other people, you know, want are interested in, then that seems great to me. And, and the word influencer obviously is bad. And, and the stereotypical influencer person is usually an awful human being and everyone knows that, but you know, every famous person nowadays is an influencer of some, in some way. And I think that the whole influencer culture has existed long enough to where you can kind of carve out uh, a subset in that world or be able to do that for a living or at least supplement your life in some way doing that and find a way to do it in a way that works for you, that lets you be able to sleep at night, you know, lets you be able to make money creating these experiences in the world, you know, working with other brands in a way that you are proud of when it's definitely not easy and it's hard to do. And you kind of have to be very selective of how you do it. And you have to be clear about what your voice is going to be. And you have to, you know, say no to things that might give you money now, but will be bad, a bad look for you down the road. But it's kind of interesting and exciting to see how you can do it, to see if you can find a way to make being an influencer you know, quote unquote, cool for yourself. Right. And not, it's not something that I've ever thought would happen in my life, but you know, thank God. <laughs> right. Well, and two, to obviously not look like this, um, you know, shell of yourself where you're, um, you know, pitching diet tea, uh, one day mm-hmm. and then, you know, talking about, uh, you know, a Mitsubishi the next day where it's just like, who the hell is this person? Yes. Yeah. You can, yeah. you can definitely tell when something is, you know, completely inauthentic or phoned in. And, you know, it doesn't matter at that point if somebody has 11 million followers, then they can just sell Fit Tea and Mitsubishis and, and you know, stamps.com, whatever it is, that doesn't matter. But, you know, if you, if, you know, I don't have a huge following, I'm not a famous person, but if enough people care about, you know, what my thoughts are, or my opinions are for me to make a living off of that from brands, then, then, I'm, I'm very happy to do that, but yeah, I think. My, yeah. My well, the, um, the two last things I want to hit you with was the, um, you know, the notion that, uh, obviously Del Taco, as we know is, uh, you know, far superior to Taco Bell and it, um, you know, breaks my heart that anybody would obviously stand for Taco Bell. But the, the thing that blows my mind and something that I literally have had discussions with people at Del Taco corporate to be like, why don't you, you know, you are familiar with the feed the beat program of Taco Bell, even though we shouldn't give it any credit. Um, I don't understand what Taco Bell, uh, I mean, they've got good marketing, but like, why, why don't they do more? Like they just seem to be, I don't know, I guess content with what they have or I don't, I don't know. I'm sure you got thoughts on this, but. Why, why doesn't Del Taco do more? You, you want them to, to scale and grow? 
maybe not scale it, not, not, maybe not be like nationwide, like, but you know, it doesn't have the same, um, I mean, obviously it has an attitude, you know, uh, you know, uh, unfreshing, believable, um, but they just, yeah. And they're bold, obviously. Um, but I, I just, I don't know. I, I feel like they're, they're, uh, missing something where they could be, you know, supporting bands, music artists, like that sort of stuff. They just seem to be pretty vacant in that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I like that about Del Taco. I like, I like Del Taco's, you know, they're, they're them being content with what they've got them not really straying away from anything like just just because you can you know doesn't mean you should use your restaurant to empower you know musicians or artists or anything like that like it's not their it's not their duty to and they can if they want to and it's cool but so many times when when brands like that especially like a fast food restaurant does any type of you know artistic or cultural initiative like that it's usually just some dumb shit that dies in two months and it's just like they just did it for a tax write-up or whatever it is and i think that i like that del taco just sticks to their guns and you know like we we do we do this one thing and that's it we're not going to open up in in boston or some other terrible city we're going to stay in this area we're going to keep doing what we do we're going to have lots of great vegetarian and vegan options we're going to be open until seven in the morning you can buy breakfast at Midnight, the Del Scorcho flows like wine. The French fries, well done, are excellent. You know, yeah. I don't want them to change. I like that they've stuck stuck to what they are and and what they believe in. And I like that they're not trying to compete with like a Taco Bell. They're they're taking the high road by not participating in that at all. Res- yeah respect no i i i see where you're coming from and after hearing you articulate that i i, I see that uh i i see that mentality and yeah it, it is nice for them to you know like you said stick to what they know but then i'm sure you visited the uh dell and barstow that obviously is uh you know completely off the reservation i have yeah i stumbled upon it on accident a couple times and it blew my mind eating a tostada yeah <laughs> But I just love- like it's so weird, like because to me, you know, every every city has their regional fast food chain that is like you know, it's not you know, it's like a, a Waffle House or a Whataburger or any of these types of places where they're not a nationwide you know McDonald's level restaurant, but there there there's enough of them, and they're they're always just kind of stay they're always going to be there and they're never really going to change like. That it's that like comfort and nostalgia doesn't really exist. It's so powerful for a place like Del Taco and I. Like, I know for a fact that I'm going to go there. You know, when I'm in, when I'm 75 years old, I'm going to be in the drive-through at Del Taco because I'm going to drive by and be like, oh yeah, Del Taco. But like, that would never happen to me with McDonald's because it's just so homogenized and and duplicated and scaled beyond anything that it doesn't feel real anymore. And, and I think Del Taco chose the perfect size and scale and growth. And they got as big as they possibly could before they lose control of, of the, of the core product. And at that point, then it just turns into the same old bullshit anywhere. And, and uh, that's one thing that I've always loved about things or places is like, how far can you push something, scale something, you know, in and out Del Taco, all these places are examples of that to where, you know, if you get it to a point where it's too big, 
you're getting greedy, you want more money. Like at, at a certain point, it's you're going to lose the magic, you're going to lose the focus, you're going to lose the control of your product, the customer service, and all that shit. And then, you know, it's 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 dead. You're, you're then, really you, then you turn into Taco Bell, right? Then you turn into Taco Bell, some diarrhea slop that you can buy at any old shithole in the world, and the owner yep. of it is a billionaire. And the owner of Ta- Del Taco is a millionaire, and, and who cares? Yeah, totally. You're going to be rich as fuck. You're going to have an amazing <laughs> life. You have ten houses and a boat. It's it's all good. Yep. Right. Yeah. It's well. It's like you know, but the difference between six seven and six nine. It's just like you know, do you really need those two more inches? It's like no, nah, no, nah, I don't. It's that's all the great, same difference. Great way to tie it all in together, my friend. You know, that's a, that's what they call in the industry a callback. I, I'm, I know you're familiar with it. Um, <laughs> the uh, the the last thing was obviously I'd be remiss if I did not mention your podcast whatsoever. Um, you know, you've you've tr- you've tripped onto uh, podcast stardom um, with the uh, the show that you obviously created. How long gone? Um, you know, joking aside, because of the you know nature of two white guys dicking around with each other on podcasts, which is obviously the bedrock of the industry. Um, yeah. You know, wh- what's kind of I guess surprised you of the fact that uh, you know people have uh, I guess gravitated towards the show? Like, what uh, you know? I mean, you had no expectations going into it. I'm sure you had a little, but what's been I, I guess the most surprising for you? <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, I think I mean I've I've been into podcasting for a long time, and I've had some other shows, and I've produced other podcasts as well. So it's, it's always been a part of my life and, or not always, but you know, my adult life. And I think the, the biggest thing that, or I guess the most pleasing surprise is, is really like the, the output is, was a direct correlation to how much work we put into it. And, and also like how important it is to delegate and streamline the uh, the duties with a partner or your team or whoever to make it not feel like a job or not feel like work and get burnt out on it. We, uh, so like we we made a, a an agreement or a pact at the beginning of it when we started it almost a year ago, kind of right when the quarantine was starting and we didn't really have any expectations other than like there's nothing to do, we're bored, let's start you know, calling each other. He was living in New York, I was living in LA at the time and we would just FaceTime each other and record it. And we put out an episode every three days or three times a week. Um, so that's a pretty um, frequent cadence compared to most podcasts. And so we we haven't been we've almost been doing it for a year, and we're on episode like one fifty six or something like that, which is a lot for podcasts. You know, that's usually a few years in at least. So we we decided to do that, and then deciding what jobs were going to be what. And like, so I looked at, I, I came to it as like, I, I love podcasting. I love talking. I love recording. I love mixing, mastering, editing, graphic design, all that stuff. I hate talent booking. I hate managing the calendar. I hate all of that shit. And I don't want to do it. And that was like the biggest pet peeve of the podcasting world is how do you get three or four people all in the same room, all at the same time, all together, working, cancellations, this person's late, that person can't do it. It was just, it's enough to make me not want to do it anymore. And so my partner, Chris, was like, I'll do all the bookings, you do all everything else. And it got to the point where it didn't feel like work, even though I've been working har- harder on this podcast than anything I've ever done in my life, probably. Like, it's, it, I, I made it a full-time job, even though it wasn't paying me any money when we started and just, you know, 
I tried to make lemonade out of lemons. It was, you know, I was a DJ who was producing events and live things like that. And that all died instantly overnight with, with the quarantine. I, you know, I had no revenue streams coming in. I had no money. All I had was just plenty of time and, and Wi-Fi. So I treated it like a full-time job, worked every day at it, still work every day at it. And, you know, it's the more, you know, the, the more work we put into it, the more it takes off and it's been, you know, obviously that's like a pretty easy thing to grasp and like a, a concept that everyone believes in, but it's cool to see it happen to yourself and your own life. And, and, you know, it's great to have the accountability of a partner who works really hard and like pushes me when I'm feeling lazy or I just want to, you know, hit the bong and eat some Del Taco. And he's saying, no, 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 we got to do this. We got this, this, and this. And you know, I, I do it, I'm tired, I'm not having as much fun, but then, you know, a year later, the, the, the fruits of the labor start popping up and, you know, it's really rewarding to see. Yeah, no, it's cool. I mean, it, and, and I think that, you know, all, like I, all joking aside, I think the fact that, you know, at, at the end of the day, when you are having a discussion with friends and you are able to bring that uh, energy to the microphones, like that's, you know, that's why people care about this stuff. It's like, they don't want to hear, you know, seven hour conversations. I mean, some people do, obviously the listeners of the Joe Rogan podcast do, but, um, you know, it's like, you want to get in, you want to get out, you want to hang with some people, you know, BS, um, and then hopefully learn something. So yeah, that's what you guys do in some capacity. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, the, the world of podcasting has changed so much from when it began, where it was just, you know, like, oh, like some people who are on talk radio have this other thing now, now that radio is kind of taking a shit. And then, you know, it turned into this whole big crazy thing that's taken over radio and it's, it's a whole thing onto its own. And I, I liked the, the challenge or the idea of being able to take the kind of the fundamental roots of podcasting of just like, you know, a couple of friends, you know, bullshitting for an hour just because people like to hear people bullshitting and you don't really hear it too much anymore. Everything has to be about something. And, and sometimes you just want to turn your brain off and not have it be about something and not have it be a message or, or a lesson to learn. Um, it's just a real documentation of, of people talking in real time. And then, if anything good comes from that, like a lesson or, or anything, then that's just icing on the cake. But you know, the world, the world needs to remember that just a bullshit convo. Um, is yeah. Good vibes. You know, that's what you want. Yeah, you know, Seinfeld was a show about nothing. They seem to do all right. Right. Yeah. They're, they're, they did. Okay. Well, uh, Jason, thanks for hanging out, dude. I really appreciate this. I know it was a little uh, off the beaten path of maybe what you uh, normally talk about, but, uh, yeah, it was fun for me. It was, but pleasure's all mine. Happy to regale the old days of Orange County and and chat with a fellow OC bro. Thank you very much, Jason, for coming on the show and letting me uh, punish him in his Instagram DMs. Be like, dude, I don't know if you remember me, but he was like, oh yeah, man, I totally do. So it was it was fun, and I uh, appreciated him letting me uh, badger him about to his background. But uh, it was, uh, like I said, if you want to listen to a really fun hang podcast, How Long Gone, I definitely recommend it. And um, yeah, you'll learn a thing or two and you'll probably laugh along the way as well. Next week, 
is another podcast. Well, I would say podcast adjacent. He hosts a podcast himself, but uh, I loved this one. His name is Vince Avril. He does a podcast called We Watch Wrestling. But um, in my opinion, more importantly, he uh, ran two record labels, uh, one called Capsule Recordings and one called Abidology. He released the Ottawa Jihad Split 12-inch that is absolutely legendary. (laughs) And he also released the uh, first Grade 7-inch. This dude has a long history with, uh, you know, DIY, uh, you know, punk and hardcore in the Detroit area. And uh, he still, he plays in a band, released some stuff on New Age Records. It's a really, really interesting chat. So that's what we got for next week. And until then, please be safe, everybody.